This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're listening to the Matt McNeil Show. And I am not Matt McNeil. I'm Todd Mickelson sitting in for Matt. Do we know what he's doing today? Uh, he might be uh, might be participating in a rodeo in uh, Texas. Oh, he, is he one of the clowns in the rodeo? <laughs> <laughs> I think even he would get a kick out of that one. <laughs> um, yeah, so you got me today. Matt will be back tomorrow. And uh, so much going on so much to talk about uh the big news of the day like patrick pointed out that matt is missing is that uh you've heard us talking uh, here uh about dean phillips and that he was talking about possibly running for president and it uh, seems official that he is not he said that it takes an awful lot to set up a campaign you got to hire a lot of people you got to do a lot of things, and he has not done that. Uh, he's still hinting that possibly other people have. So uh, being a little I, – I don't think he wants to to out anybody. But um, – and speculation, who knows? I have no idea uh, where to go with that. But it sounds like Dean Phillips kind of not in so many words announcing that he is not going to run for president. He's not going to primary against – Joe Biden. Also, an earthquake hits just as a storm is crossing the border. The border's wide open. Now the storms are coming in to California. It, it looks like in uh, just a little north of L.A. There was a it, – and it wasn't serious, but it shook some things up. And uh, just as the first tropical storm in something like 85 years hits – South California. So the the mess in the GOP, we're going to talk about all that, but I want to talk about something that is not being talked about enough and it's certainly not understood even by people who are talking about it. And we have a special guest, uh, Dr. Jane Keller. Hi, Jane. Hi, Todd. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And again, I want to thank you for telling your story. Um, we're talking about the student loan issue. And I think the misunderstanding is that people think, you know, this is just millennials and Gen Z being big babies trying to, you know, uh, bilch on their on their uh, student loans, you know, getting out of paying for it. You know, I'm I'm a boomer. I had to pay for my student loan. Why do these young people not have to pay for theirs? Well, the story of Dr. Jane Keller is uh, a, a big story. I haven't heard it, and um, so she's gracious enough to come on and, and tell. Uh, so, Jane, tell us about back in the early 90s when you made your decision about uh, going to graduate school. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on and highlighting uh, – the old people and our student loan um, dilemma. 
It is a um, huge issue. Many people who um, took out loans for graduate school and advanced degrees um, in the 90s are still paying huge amounts of student loans. So I appreciate having a chance to talk about it. And um, I, I finished college in St. Mary's in Winona, Minnesota, and graduated in 1998. Was really looking for a career, knew that I wanted to help people, kids and families especially, uh, I was a psychology youth ministry double major from St. Mary's College and decided to pursue graduate school. Um, at the time, in the state of Minnesota, they were phasing out the master level provider for um, psychology. So really, the, the one and only option, if you wanted to um, you know, be reimbursed and, and pursue license in the state of Minnesota was to pursue your doctorate. So and you, that's you, what I did. For and, and you wanted to be a psychologist, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And so, so you went to graduate school for that. You had to take out a loan of approximately $100,000, correct? I actually took out about $169,000 okay. <laughs> to, to, to pay for a four-year... Um, clinical psychology doctorate. And that was in 1998, right? Correct. I started in 1998, and I graduated in 2002. Um, and, uh, you know, he was, was hopeful. The, the field at the time when I started in the 90s, there was a lot of opportunity and promise for a doctoral level clinician. Um, what it did not prepare me for was managed care and insurance rate reimbursements. And so I remember seeing a lot of the um, allure and the, the what I could make salary. And, and, you know, that's what graduate school was based on and my loans were based on is what kind of salary and job you could get after you achieved the degree. Right. And then, Which was, and, and by the way, I want to, the, the value of a dollar in 1998 compared to today is um, like $1 is worth a dollar and 87 cents. So a hundred, hundred thousand dollars is a hundred and eighty seven thousand dollars the equivalent. And uh, so so you basically were taking a loan for what today would have been over $200,000. And, and you understood that if you went through this part of the education, you could get licensed at a level where you felt comfortable making enough money to easily pay off that loan. Correct? Correct. Right. And what was another change that happened uh, having to do with insurance covering psychological issues? Well, the the insurance companies, you know, managed care came in and basically negotiated rates for reimbursement through insurance, which were much, much lower than a private pay rate um, that you could get any other, through any other form. So 
I, I knew that I wanted to work with kids and families. I knew that, um, you know, kids and families in, in all situations cannot do private pay in, you know, in very few situations. So right. I was, it was really determined by um, what negotiations happened between the agencies and the insurance companies, which, you know, ended up being about half of the amount that my graduate school um, pretty brochure promised was a was a salary that we could have made, you know, upon graduation. So the amount of loan that I took out um, versus what I was able to make as as a therapist and a clinician working with kids and families, there was a huge discrepancy. Right. So there were some psychologists at that time who were industrial psychologists and some, you know, organizational psychologists who who could have made that money and probably did make that money. Mm-hmm. Um, we all went to the same program. We specialized in different things. We all paid the same fee and to the program. Um, but working with kids and family and dedicating, you know, my my career towards kids on the autism spectrum and attachment disordered kids and right. um those are those are not the high paying jobs of of the psychological world right so basically people like that could have used insurance when you went into your graduate school it was understood that people like that would have a, a much higher level of assistance to be right. your patient. And then by the time you got out of school, that had changed. And so way less people would be able to even afford to be able to be your patient. So you just basically right. couldn't have enough patients. Um, I'm not saying you don't have patients. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so so you are were just simply unable to earn what you thought you were going to earn, and now you can't afford your student loan payments. And you're not a, well, a millennial or a or a or or a uh, Gen Z person. You're in your fifties. I, I I'm much closer to sixty than I am fifty, and and I have um, you know made payments. My student loans are twenty twenty years old. I I um, met the twenty mark in April of of repayment. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a sad situation where, you know, one of my loans, my original principal was $101,000 that I took out over that time. And my total accrued interest is $91,572, 20, 20 years in on this process of repaying my student loan. So you've only you've only gone down nine thousand dollars in twenty years out of out of a hundred thousand dollars, correct? Correct. Right. So correct. so basically, um, you're going to have to live to be five five hundred and sixty years old <laughs> to be able to pay at this rate. Um, yeah, and so you know, people are kind of. The the reason that I wanted to talk about this was because you the argument on the other side of of uh, you know Biden trying to trying to tackle this 
incredibly difficult subject. The argument against it is that the young people are trying to, you know, dupe the system, uh, buck the system. But in reality, the system has bucked you, and um, you're in an impossible situation. And uh, and and you're not a young person, and you're never going to be able to pay this off. And so, Correct. so you know, at least now there were there were other rules, and we're going to take a short break. And I hope you can stay a few more minutes after the break. Sure. Okay, um, there were a few more rules that were changed, and uh, and uh, Dr. Jane Keller knows a lot about this, uh, both what happened during the Trump administration and the Biden administration. She knows more about what Biden is trying to do for this than anyone that I've talked to. And I think that the message needs to get out more because this is a much more important subject than what is the level that it's being talked about or the level that people know about what's going on within it. So let's take a short break. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil show talking to Dr. Jane Keller. We'll be right back. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, Todd Mickelson on the synthesizer and on the show today for the Matt McNeil Show. And uh, we've got a special guest on the line, Dr. Jane Keller. We're talking about the fact that she took out a student loan that uh, she because she wanted to be a psychologist and help families and kids. And spe- so she went to graduate school specializing in that type of uh education she had to take out a student loan at the time the she would have been able to get a salary that would make her be able to afford to pay off the student loan and things changed with insurance rules and things like that so that it kind of uh, totally you know uh, inhi- inhibited her ability to get enough patience to be able to afford to pay back the student loan. And now, not only can she not really afford to pay back the student loan, she can't afford to work in the line of work that she wanted to do. Is that correct, Dr. Keller? Uh, well, it's, it's complicated because when when you start talking about um, paying back your student loans, and, and um, I just want to say I paid back my undergraduate student loan um, debt, Going to you know St. Mary's College, I I paid that back while I was in graduate school. So I I took care of that as I was also you know working and going to graduate school. Um, and as so as you start your career and you um, work, there's there's different options to pay your student loan, and and so an income based repayment plan is one option and. Um, many different lenders have given me a lot of different information, but the income-based repayment plan that I signed up for and was working with is based on was based on my income. It was based on um, the salary that I was making in my career, which seemed very fair. My student loans, my salary. Um, Unfortunately, during the Trump administration, the rules changed, and 
bank and based repayment plan was no longer based on my income, but it was based on our joint income. If you filed joint taxes and you paid the joint income, um, which my husband, you know, luckily has had a had a good paying job and is able to um, make money, and so. You know, my payments for my student loan almost tripled in comparison when we added his income. Right. Um, and so basically whatever whatever I was making in my career was going towards my student loan payment. Right. And that is very discouraging. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to work, to work with the, in the field and to have to, it's, it's, it's really a, a hard uh, job and it's a really um, I, I loved it but it takes a lot out of you and um, it's to see every penny that I made go to my student loans didn't really give me a lot of satisfaction right and and now your husband is basically on the line to pay your student loan <laughs> you know um, or or at well, least you know it cut, cuts into his yeah. income uh, and so the Biden administration ha- what they have been trying to change that back correct one of the most important things that the Biden administration has done is looked at the private lenders because of course my loan I, I pulled out a huge manila and I, I have a four-inch um, file folder of the history of the last 20 years of my student loan and the different servicers and private companies that they've been sold to. And one of the things that the Biden administration has done, which is a huge benefit to many of us, is they have gone and, and really started to push hard on these private servicers and, and saying they were not transparent in how they conveyed different policies to us, the borrower. One of the things that Navient did as, as someone who bought my loan, I think the third or fourth person who bought my consolidated loan, they were very generous and, and helpful if you were having an economic um, issue. I, I got laid off, I, I had kids, you know, so I wasn't able to make my, my promised student loan. So they made it quite easy to file for a deferment or a forbearance. Um, what they never disclosed at that point was when those deferments or forbearances were approved quite easily, uh, your clock for repaying your student loan started over. So you, you buy income-based repayment means that I'll make 20 years of payments, and at the end of that 20 years, my, my loans will be forgiven in, in full. The Biden administration, and, and huge Elizabeth Warren um, is a champion for this, you know, really pursued Navient, and, and they did settle without being sued to um, disclose that, yes, they were, it was not transparent. They were not forthcoming with their borrowers that, Yes, you can qualify for this deferment, but it means the last 10 years of, of payments are not going to count towards your total of 20-year payments. So I started over three or four times not understanding and never disclosed that 
my my term of paying back started when I started paying it back again after a deferment or a forbearance. Right. So you take a deferment, say, 15 years into your loan, you think you think then you're you only have 5 years left but in reality you have disqualified yourself without them telling you how it worked so now instead of only having 5 years left it's back to 20 years again correct right correct and so what the, what the Biden administration is doing now which is the the most recent um lawsuit appeal just got overturned thank goodness is is the U.S. Department of Education is going back through our loans and looking at our time, our months in deferment, our months in forbearance, and they are counting those months towards either a 20 or 25 year forgiveness period, which is what we originally signed up for. Um, so they're undoing, and and I, there's. This is the first time in 20 years I've had a glimmer of hope, Todd, that it is possible that maybe when I get my Social Security, I will not also be paying my student loan. There's there's a slight hopeful little around the corner, if this goes through, right. um, that I'm going to be very close to 25 years of, of repayment of this loan and the rest of the principal and interest would be forgiven at that point if if no one else goes to block it and you know there's many many things that have happened in this process that um the other side seems to really be adamant about yes and not wanting this to be taken care of that's all the more reason why we got to really turn out and vote um we need to keep the country in the hands of the democratic party because the Republican Party's not working for us. They're working for the the large companies like this company that you're talking about. Um, and it's just, you know, it, so your loan ends up being forgiven anyway. So they stop getting paid by you anyway. Now, it, it, they're, they can afford that because they're over <laughs> they're overcharging everybody in interest. But at the same time, you know, what good does that do? Wouldn't it be better? It's kind of like what I say. Why do the large corporations spend so much money lobbying to keep taxes down when they – why don't they just take that lobbying money and pay it in taxes and then we can all have a new road? It's the same as this. Um, you know, school is not affordable for most Americans anymore and and we need it to go the other way. So uh, it's good to hear these things that the Biden administration is doing. I really – you know, we we need to talk about it more. So again, I thank you very much, Dr. Jane Keller, for calling in and telling your story. I know it's it's not a fun story to tell, and um, and it doesn't feel good. And uh, so I very much appreciate that you're putting yourself out there. Um, I know you wrote on your Facebook page to kind of get this started. That's where I found you, and uh, I just I thought it was a really fascinating story to tell. And, uh, but not a fun one for you to tell. So thank you so much for calling in. You're very welcome. I, I so appreciate having a little bit of a voice in this whole process. And uh, I really, it, it's vital that people understand the complexity for the older student loan borrowers because there, there are millions of us that, that are dedicated to our career and just trying, you know, trying to do 
the best that we can do for the people that we serve, and yeah. uh, nobody's really looking out for us. No. And and I think uh, Elizabeth Warren would probably like to speak to you as well, and maybe have you testify in Washington D.C. sometime when we're when uh, they're working on this. Um, <laughs> well, you took the first step here on the radio, so but. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to let you go. We need to take another break. Thanks again, Dr. Jane Keller, for telling her story. And we're going to take a short break and come back on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. We'll be right back. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, Todd Mickelson, sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show for one day, and Matt will be back tomorrow. And uh, we were just talking to special guest um, Dr. Jane Keller about her student loan issues. Uh, This now, student loans stay with you for the rest of your life, most people. And the Republicans, they try and tell us all that they want us to keep more of our own money. But they take away more of our own money. You heard her tell the story about how the uh, Trump administration changed the rules that raised her student loan payments three times higher than they were. It tripled her student loan payment. And it it makes it so that, you know, I mean, you're just never going to be able to pay it back. It's going to be on your back for the rest of your life because of all the rules that have been changed over the last 20 or 25 years on student loans. Young people, you know, I mean, you have to be rich to be able to go to any schooling after high school. And, uh, and if you want to play sports in high school, you got to be kind of rich too because – Funding's been cut. Now, I talk about being exposed to the school systems through my daughter, who's now 20, and much better education than I got. The schools, as far as educating kids, are far better than when I was going to school. They put a lot of the, the thing I hated was even though I was really good at math, I could do math in my head, I could understand it really well. The way that they taught it in school just didn't jive with me. And it's funny because my daughter kind of has that same weird uh, math-in-your-head thing that I have, but they adjust things for different types of learning in modern-day schools. So, you know, you hear, again, Republicans saying that public schools are horrible. They want to get rid of public schools is what they want. They want everything to be privatized so that – you know they they can direct the money to to all of the private organizations including charter schools and things like that public schools the you know they don't have enough money they're keeping up with the education part still could do a lot better as far as uh disparities again between between poor kids and rich kids but the thing is that i noticed is that when i went to school i was in marching band it was one of the only I, – I might have dropped out of school in junior high or, or high school if I wasn't able to play the drums in the marching band. My daughter's school doesn't have a marching band. There's just not enough money for something like that. And she got into basketball and 
and softball. If she would have got into hockey, it would have been even more. But we had to buy a bat and a helmet and uh, you know any of the stuff, the the uniforms, the shoes, the everything. And that stuff is expensive. They don't just make cheap baseball bats. <laughs> so we could afford it, but there were a lot of kids who just couldn't. They couldn't afford to play sports, especially something like hockey. They want to play, but they can't afford it because their parents have to buy all of their equipment. The school used to provide all that stuff when I was a kid. I had to play football, and I didn't want to play football, but I didn't have to buy my own helmet. I was horrible at football. I made one tackle that I that I remember, and it was um, the guy had gotten it was on a kickoff, and the guy they put me on the end because I was the worst guy on the team, and the guy got through everybody, and I was the only one standing between him and the end zone, and I did what they told you, and I just put my head down into his stomach, and and he came down. It <laughs> almost broke my neck. Yeah, I didn't really want to play football. I just lived in a school where if you didn't play sports. You were ostracized from having any friends as well. So I played baseball, scared to death of baseball. You know, when you're a young kid, you know, you're 10 years old and you're made to stand in front of another 10-year-old kid throwing the ball as fast as he can. I was terrified. So, yeah, I was horrible at, at sports except hockey. I was, I was pretty good at that. Anyway, what we're talking about is student loans. I also have uh, two nephews that are in their 20s. One of them is getting married, man, I think in like two weeks, something like that. And um, they bought a house, but it was really difficult for them to buy a house. And I think if they hadn't bought it right at the moment they did, I don't think they could have afforded to do it because housing, the housing market went crazy again. I don't think they could have afforded certainly the house that they have. And they have a modest house. It's a nice house. It's got a nice yard and a nice neighborhood. But it was really nerve-wracking and difficult. And, um, you know, they both have decent jobs working at something that they like, which is good because most people can't do that either. But um, it's just so much more difficult for young people to just live normal lives, you know, modest, normal lives. And if something goes wrong with your car, you can't afford to fix it. You know, everything's on a shoestring. And although our economy is doing really well on paper, you know, it it's still doesn't feel that way to an awful lot of Americans. And a big part of it is this student loan problem. You know, or the young people aren't able to contribute to the economy. Because they can't afford to, because they're paying so much money in their student loans. You know, they they can't go out to eat, so they're not supporting restaurants. Uh, They can't buy uh, tons of extra stuff, so they're not supporting the businesses that sell or make those things. Housing, very few of them can afford to get into housing. So, although our economy on paper is doing well all the numbers are coming in well and and there's a lot of lot of good things going on with that and the Biden administration really is 
to blame for a lot of that. I mean, our economy is doing way better than the rest of the world at this point. And he started with a catastrophe, not just because we went through a pandemic that would have possibly not happened if Trump had not become president. I I fully think that there was a really good chance that COVID would have been contained in China had China not kicked out all of our inspectors because they knew Trump didn't even know what was going on. It could have been – over here in the United States, it could have felt like SARS felt 20 years ago where it sounded scary – but it was going on on the other side of the planet, and it never came here. There's a really good chance COVID could have done that. But no, we had a pandemic and a million and a quarter, a million and a half Americans dead. I'm going to talk a little bit about that and how that affected the Republican Party, which just makes it even more crazy. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's funny, not funny story. But also, you know, so I mentioned when Dr. Keller was on the line that the Republicans seem to not be working for the people. They only seem to be working for the large corporations, in, which in, I'm including in that the um, companies that hold the student loans that are making people pay back their student loans. The Trump administration changed the rules to make it extremely much more difficult to pay your student loan. Her student loan went up three times more than what it was before that rule got changed. And the Biden administration is making changes to change that back. Because the Biden administration and Democrats are trying to work for the people. And Republicans are becoming more and more smug about things. This is a story in the Minnesota Reformer, one of our favorite sources of uh, news. U.S. Representative Brad Finstead of Minnesota's 1st Congressional District is four days past the deadline to file his 2022 financial disclosure report to the House clerk. In actuality... It's 94 days because the Southern Minnesota Republican back in May requested a 90-day extension to file his 2022 financial disclosure, and he was granted a new date of August 13th. So it's actually more than four days now because this was written last Thursday. But as of last Thursday, he has not yet submitted his report. Of course, Finstead's office did not immediately respond to the reformer's inquiry about the tardy disclosure. If he submits his report over 30 days past the due date, Finstead will be subject to a $200 fine. <laughs> so, you know, you think he can afford a $200 fine? He's just, you know, flipping off all of the rules. That, that's what Republicans are doing more and more. This is money-related. The left-leaning government watchdog group Accountable U.S. in a statement said Finstead's failure to submit his report on time is concerning. Recent reporting shows members of Congress trading on investments even as they acquire information often not available to the general public. 
Finstead last August won a special election for the seat after the death of U.S. Representative Jim Hagedorn. He won again in the November general election. In his financial disclosure form as a candidate last year, Finstead reported receiving $60,000 as executive director of the Minnesota Turkey Growers Association and $20,000 as an owner member of the agrimony, uh, ag- agronomy company Frontier Labs. Finstead listed a number of assets but didn't report any capital gains. His assets include Finstead Farms, valued between $1 million and $5 million, and Frontier Labs, also valued between $1 and $5 million. Prior to becoming a congressman, Finstead was the Minnesota USDA Rural Development Director during the Trump administration. What do you got to hide, Brad? What are you hiding from your constituents? Why are you not giving your report? It's supposed to be required, but Republicans don't care. What is he hiding? Is he hiding that he made extra money and he's and he's doing favors for the uh, the different entities that he works within? Uh, you know, he's part owner of Frontier Labs. And Minnesota Turkey Growers Association, and he's got farms. I assume they probably grow turkeys. And he was in rural development, USDA rural development before that. Is he doing favors for his own businesses in Washington, D.C.? Is that what he's covering up? We have to get money out of politics. And I really think that Congress people should not be allowed to uh, invest in Wall Street. You know, pay to play. Uh, quid pro quo. It's all over the place. This is a Minnesota U.S. representative who's just completely thumbing his nose at the rule of law because he's hiding something from his constituents. Yeah. Brad Finstead. Brad, if you're listening, give me a call. 952-946-6205. Maybe you'll reveal here on AM 950 why you're thumbing your nose at the rule of law. Anyway, we got to take a break. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. We'll be right back. Oh, no. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. On AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Crazy story about how desperate and scared Republicans are getting. Um, We're going to talk a lot about how they're dooming themselves in many different ways. Some of it's pretty hilarious, although all of it is still very sad. But, um, you know, if it 
If it wasn't uh, sad, it would just be absolutely hilarious. <laughs> but here's what kind of what kind of fear is this showing? Matt Gates has introduced a resolution in the House to censure U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin. She's the one who is the judge in the uh, case, the you know the the big one. I mean, the Georgia one is big, too. This is the other big one. So is the other one. There's three major ones, and then another one having to do— There's a lot. There's uh, uh, his company is likely to be put out of business in a hearing that's coming up in early next year. Um, He is running out of money. So Judge Tanya Chutkin is the judge overseeing the January 6th Capitol riot. Uh, you, you know, they don't have titles, but you know his many, many charges in that case. He's got 91 charges now total, and that's just this stuff. He's being sued by tons of people constantly. Um, but yeah, not only is Matt Gates introduced a resolution to censure the judge, but then after they censure her, he wants an investigation. His friend Gymnasium Jordan, he wants to investigate Judge Tanya Chutkin. Don't you usually investigate first, and then you find why you're able to censure somebody? It's all a dog and pony show. They're desperately just trying to put on a show for their base. I think they all know that they're gonna, it's going to be a bloodbath for them in the 2024 election. And we're going to talk more about that as well uh, in the next hour. But um, th- this is the kind of absolute stupidity they're doing. They're still talking about Hunter, trying to. I mean, the talk has gotten a little less because they're all on on summer break. And I think the Republicans are really glad that they're on summer break because all of these things going on with Donald Trump, who now is going to have to come in and go into a jail and get ink on his fingers and probably get measured and weighed, (laughs) that will probably all be revealed because he's being booked the way anybody else would be booked this time. And I think the Republicans are glad that they're not walking around in the Capitol because they would just be, you know, constantly being asked questions about that. And so I think they need a break more than we do. (laughs) But Matt Gates. The the actual resolution is just so ridiculous if if you read through the whole thing, accusing her of all of this political bias and accusing her of using her bench to be politically biased, accusing her of using her political bias to sentence people, again, sticking up for people— the, this is the Republicans sticking up 
for the rioters, sticking up for the people who were trying to overthrow the country. We're also going to talk about a very interesting story about the sentencing recommendations for the Proud Boys, speaking of people trying to overthrow the country, that the Republicans want to stick up for. So just an absolutely desperate, scared, but they don't care if if 99% of the country thinks that they're desperate and scared. They're just desperately trying to keep their base engaged. They know there's not enough of their base to win any elections, but I think they're getting scared that they're going to lose their base. And, um, yeah, that leads to the bloodbath of 2024 that we'll talk about in the second hour of the Matt McNeil Show. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're listening to the Matt McNeil Show, and I am not Matt McNeil. I'm Todd Mickelson, sitting in for Matt, who's in a rodeo. We don't know what his occupation in the rodeo is. He may just be a spectator. But we mentioned that um, maybe he's one of those clowns. That would be fun. Um. I always bank on that he's not listening, so I can say stuff like that. This bulletin just in, Donald Trump's attorneys and Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis finalizes the terms of the former president's consent bond on Monday in the Georgia 2020 election interference case. It's unclear when Trump is expected to surrender to authorities in the state. Several other co-defendants in the case, including John Eastman and Scott Hall, agreed to consent bonds on Monday as well. In the court order on Monday, today, at actually at the very top of the hour, this is coming out just minutes ago, in the court order today, Fulton County Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee set the former president's bond at $200,000. The terms of the consent bond include Trump agreeing not to intimidate any co-defendant or witness in this case or to otherwise obstruct the administration of justice. Of course, he's already done that when he told the lieutenant governor, when he uh, put on his fake Twitter called Truth Social, ironically, um, he said he shouldn't. He basically, you know, kind of, it's a very mobstery, mobster move. I'd hate for anything bad to happen to that pretty wife of yours kind of stuff. Another thing uh, that is just happening right this moment, um, I'm reading from Mueller, she wrote, breaking, Jack Smith filed a motion early this morning to get permission to file a response to Trump's April 2026 trial date request in the D.C. coup case. Judge Chuck, (laughs) excuse me. I choked. Judge Chutkin immediately granted it and gave Jack until tomorrow to file, but he filed it today. 
And she says it's a scorcher. Um, part of it, Trump says that the December 11th jury selection conflicts with a hearing in the documents case. He even filed with Judge Cannon to complain about it. And so Jack Smith says, whatever, dude, fine. December 12th then. <laughs> uh, yeah, part of part of it reads, the defendant contends that the government's proposed trial schedule conflicts with other cases in which he is a civil or criminal defendant. <laughs> the government is confident that the court can and will in this case, as in any other, consider the party's proposals and its own calendar and navigate around true conflicts. Yeah, so Trump is calling it, I can't make it that day. I got to be at a different uh, court hearing and a jail. Um, and then this other day, uh, yeah, it's another court thing. Uh, let's see. And talk about thumbing your nose at the system. Trump and his lawyers propose... You know, Jack Smith wants this to come to trial January 2nd, 2024. What is that? Four months. Uh, September, October, December. Yeah. Four months from now, a little bit more than that. They're saying, no, we want it in April of 2026. <laughs> That's just thumbing your nose. I mean— they're they're going about this really stupidly because they're really pissing off the judge. Every day they find another way to piss off the judge. Is that what you want to do? Is that a smart thing to do? Yeah, the, uh, I'm I'm kind of looking at because there's all this breaking news coming out. A three-judge panel of the 11th Circuit allows enforcement of Alabama's ban on gender-affirming care for minors. Okay. Uh, God. Um, yeah, and uh, so Jack Smith is taking care of all of this stuff, you know. I mean, he he must have had that letter already written when he asked if he could submit it because— she said, sure, you have till tomorrow. And he's like, oh, can I just do it right now? <laughs> it reminds me of uh, my brother. When we were kids in fourth grade, there was this uh, teacher. She was she was really cool. I remember thinking she was really cool. She was a little hard-hitting, so some kids were, you know, thought she was kind of mean, but she wasn't mean. She just, you know, she was kind of strict and— my parents ran into her at a garage sale years later, and she said, one of the most memorable things that any kid ever in my whole career has done was your son. Everybody was throwing paper airplanes, and I, you know, it was really making me mad. And I turned around and said, the next person who throws a paper airplane has to write a hundred times, I will never throw a paper airplane. So the next day, she's you know, got her back to the kids, writing on the on the blackboard, and a paper airplane comes and hits the wall right next to her. She looks back and says, who threw that? My brother raises his hand and opens his desk and pulls out a piece of paper where he had all, the night before wrote out a hundred times, I will never throw a paper airplane. I thought that was actually pretty funny. And he, the other thing is he never told us about it. This was years, decades later when my mom and dad ran into that teacher. Anyway, 
Um, that's what it reminds me of. What were we talking about? Uh, I, here's something that I, I wanted to mention because it's, um, it's a pretty big deal. Um, yeah, breaking news all over the place. Uh, yeah, this is uh, reading from just CNN politics. A lot of people are writing about this. The Justice Department is seeking three-decade prison sentences for the leaders of the Proud Voice convicted of seditious conspiracy for plotting and leading the crowd at the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot, positioning the men as failed, thuggish political revolutionaries. When you actually read this DOJ recommendation, it's uh, it's really long. And it, again, it's written like a story about what all these guys did. And if you, you know, you should go look for it and read it because it's pretty amazing. Just like all these things, the January 6th report, when you actually read it, it's just, I mean, it, it's like reading a a, 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 spy, a really intricate, you know, spy novel or something. In a new court filing, prosecutors say Enrique Terrio, Ethan Nordine, Joseph Biggs, Zachary Rell, and Dominic Pizzola intentionally positioned themselves at the vanguard of political violence in this country, quote unquote. And uh, they were trying to change the course of American history. Prosecutors seek 33 years in prison for Tario and Biggs, 30 years for Rell, 27 for, you know, other shorter sentences for the other guys, but 33 years for both Tario and Biggs, leaders of the Proud Boys. Now, if you don't know what, what the DOJ recommended sentencing is, it's just that. The DOJ is recommending the judge sentence these guys to 33 years in prison. If you remember Elmer Stewart Rhodes, the guy who, you know, looks really tough by wearing an eye patch, but he doesn't tell you the story that he accidentally shot his own eye out. That's how good he is with a gun. And he's an ex-military guy. Anyway, he was sentenced to 18 years ultimately. I think the DOJ recommended a little higher than that, but... Um, so these guys could at least get the upper 20s. I don't see them going down to 20 years. That would be that would be going away from the uh, Department of Justice recommended sentencing by too much. Now, this judge is a uh, Timothy Kelly. He was um, put in the position by George W. Bush. He's a Republican, but he's no Trumper. And I think he has he has a, a history of kind of listening to the DOJ's recommendations. So this is pretty incredible, and it doesn't bode well for, say, somebody like Donald Trump, who's got 91 counts against him, adding up to hundreds of years in those what those counts are you know, normally— uh, the sentencing is for anywhere from you know five to twenty years on ninety one counts. Yeah, here it says the Justice Department had asked for twenty five years for Elmer Stewart Rhodes, and he got eighteen years. Um, so I don't see these guys getting you know 
10 years less than this. So they're all going to jail for a long time. You know, as much as in the last hour we were talking about Republicans thumbing their nose at the rule of law, the rule of law is coming down pretty hard on them this year. And I think that they're starting to actually get nervous about it. I I think enough time went by where nothing really big happened that they kind of f- forgot about how serious this stuff is. You know, uh, but now it's, you know, these are big sentences. And there has been like now 2,000 uh, people And the DOJ has not lost a single jury case in this whole January 6th mess. They haven't lost a single one in something like 2,000 hearings. I don't know that there's been that many, but there have been those many people arrested and going through the process. And uh, the GOP frontrunner has to show up in a dingy jail this week. That's the other part of the story. So he has to pay $200,000. He has to promise not to intimidate any witnesses or co-defendants. And he has to come into the jail live and in person. And the sheriff there is like, no, he's going to get booked just like anybody. I'm going to take his fingerprints. I'm going to take his mugshot. Uh, You know, Everybody's anticipating that we're going to find out exactly his height and weight because obviously he and that crazy White House doctor, the drunk guy, um, lied about that. You know, and it was just ridiculous because it can easily be proven that they were lying about it. But um, but yeah, so it, it's it's getting gnarly and. I'm uh, going to make a prediction. I'm very reluctant to make predictions ever since 2016. I I was really good at making predictions before 2016, and then the world turned upside down, and I just am like, okay, I'm not making predictions anymore. But I have uh, what I think is a very interesting prediction, and I will reveal what that is and talk more about it when we come back from a short break. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. We'll be right back. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. And I uh, have a podcast called A Satellite View. You can find it by going to am950radio.com. Click on the Programs link. And if you scroll down, you can find A Satellite View, my podcast in amongst all of the AM 950 shows and podcasts. And... uh, the newest um, episode I recorded on Thursday, last Thursday night. You can hear it right now on, uh, like I said, go find it. And in it, I make a prediction. And like I said before, I'm reluctant because, you know, I was telling people in 2016, I said, don't worry, there's absolutely no way that Donald Trump's going to get into the White House. Now, That prediction ends up not being as wrong as it felt for a little while because 
we all know that there was collusion with Russia and, and there was a whole lot of cheating going on in 2016. So by saying there's no way Donald Trump can get into the White House, you know, he also lost by 300, uh, by 3 million votes, the popular, uh, uh, vote. So I don't feel like I was completely wrong. And of course, I'm not the only one who was predicting that back then. But I haven't been making predictions like that since then because things are just so uh, just unpredictable. <laughs> but I am making the prediction that Donald Trump is not going to end up being the 2024 Republican nomination for the presidential candidate. And I made that prediction last Thursday, and things have changed, making me feel even stronger about that even since Thursday. Uh, The way the news is starting to lean a little bit, I think, first of all, people are now really starting to talk about the 14th Amendment. And... uh, you know, we it's part of the Constitution that if you do anything to try and overturn, <laughs> if you do any seditious type of activity, you are not allowed to hold any government office in the United States. So really, Ted Cruz shouldn't be allowed, um, a lot of other people. But Donald Trump, a lot of people are starting to seriously talk about that possibly disqualifying Trump, even before next summer. I mean, it's very possible if the Jack Smith trial happens in January or or even February or March, you know, Trump is going to be found guilty. We've, we, I, th- I think that's another prediction that I think a lot of people are making. I think Trump thinks he's going to be found guilty. I think Trump's lawyers think he's going to be found guilty. And... Technically, then, he's not allowed to run for office. So that's something people are talking about. Patrick, I'm going to play a piece of sound here. Um, This was something really interesting that happened just in the last couple days. This is Fox News, Fox and Friends, talking about the debate and Donald Trump. And I, I, I find it surprising. Here it is. Maybe I'm persuaded. Mike Pence said, I hope he participates. He's not going to. But Mike Pence said that. And I like what Vivek said. Vivek said he has every right not to participate. He doesn't have to if he doesn't want to. He can do whatever he wants to And I'll pardon him. So so what what you're going to see on uh, Wednesday night here on Fox is you're going to see, what, eight candidates. Mm -hmm. And you know know how when you watch a TV show, you see those eight people, you're going to wind up picking a favorite. Oh, that guy won. Uh, That guy won. Uh, Chris Christie is going to, you know, he's going to do what he uh, is going to do. As a former federal prosecutor, he's going to remind people about uh, Donald Trump and uh, the laws he allegedly broke. So that's what he's all about. The big question is, and we've talked about this, I bet two weeks after the debate, the polling will be all different. Because people, and that's to the peril of the uh, former president, Donald Trump, not showing up. People are going to have a favorite. Ron DeSantis could do great. Tim Scott could do great. They could all do great. Mm-hmm. And then Trump's going to be out in Bedminster going, I kind of wish I would have shown up. That'll be great uh, to be if it gets too close, then Trump will have to get back in. 
Well, he's Maybe. also being indicted four times, so you might not want to get there, get right. on stage because he, he might, could his get lawyers upset. might say that's why he called up Monday's. About... That's why he called off today's exactly. press conference. Exactly. But but if uh, if he gets in on the second debate after saying he's going to be skipping all of them, it's going to look like he's jumping in because he's losing. True. He's losing well, altitude. Well, that CBS polls. Yes. So again, Trump losing. He's because he's a loser. And that's Fox News saying all of that. And they're, they're correct about all of those things. And except Ron DeSantis could do great. That's just, that's, you know, that's not going to happen. There's another prediction I'm going to make. Ron DeSantis is, it, it's going to possibly be the final death blow to his campaign. Um, so that's the one thing that they got wrong. But this is not making Trump look good. Trump is losing his power over these people. He's he's not looking like he's in charge. He's not looking uh, even of his own destiny at this point. People are starting to talk about, you know, they're repeating over and over. He's indicted four times so far. He might be indicted more. Uh, he's got so many court dates that he can't even run a campaign. And he is saying, I can't even run a campaign. <laughs> you know, and it's looking like it's I don't think his whole shtick is working anymore. Now, of course, there's going to be the absolute crazies. There always is that faction. But they're a very, very small percentage of Americans, especially Americans who vote. And he's never going to lose those people. But those people are saying things like he's Jesus, you know. I mean, they're saying he's their savior. They're saying that they trust Trump to tell them the truth more than they trust their own family and friends. That's actually a thing. Somebody somebody asked in a poll. And uh, so he's never going to lose those people. But these Fox people, he's going to lose them. And a lot of the marginally crazy, not the crazy crazy, but the next tier up and higher, less, you know, getting less crazy the higher you go, they're watching all of this stuff. They are still watching Fox News. And this is what Fox News is telling them now. And this is, you know, the, I don't know, Cal Mead, I think, was always getting mad at Douchey. Uh, they were kind of getting in a fight, you know, on on the opposite side of the couch on this Fox and Friends show. But now they're, in, on this at least, they were in cahoots. You know, they they said if, if, it, if it gets closer, he's going to have to start showing up at the debates. And then the woman says, well, maybe he doesn't want to show up at the debates because he's indicted four times and he could incriminate himself further, which you know he will. Because he's just going to keep repeating, I won in 2020 and I'll win again. Don't say I lost in 2020 because I won. That further incriminates him in this case of uh, January 6th sedition. And so, of course, his lawyers don't want him to show up at the debates. They don't want him to talk into a microphone at all. They would love for him to suspend his campaign. There are polls coming out where more than 50% of Americans think Trump should suspend his campaign. 
64% of Americans say there's absolutely no way they will vote for Donald Trump. A lot of Republicans are saying there is no way I will vote for Donald Trump. So we'll talk more about this and how the Republican Party is self-inflicting their own wounds in any election for the future. You're listening to AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm Todd Mickelson, sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. We'll be right back. AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show for one day. Then Matt will be back tomorrow and everything goes back to normal, except the news. <laughs> uh, Trump is expected to turn up at the dingy jail. I, I've heard people talking about either Thursday or Friday. He has to do it by Friday or they can arrest him. That's how it goes when you break the law. And the Republicans are starting to actually realize that. And a lot of them are starting to think, do we really want our front runner, our, do we really want our candidate for the presidency running in the general election to be doing it from jail? I mean, we've been saying that, that but now it's looking like it uh, would really happen. And do we really want that? So they're having a debate on Wednesday, and Trump is like, why would I debate? I'm so far, so far ahead of everybody. Why would I go and debate? He had to cancel this. He did a big announcement. I'm going to, you know, I have a report, and it's going to be, I'm going to present it at a press conference on Monday morning. Big, big deal. And then he canceled it. So he's starting to listen to his lawyers, and his lawyers are basically telling him, please don't talk into a microphone anymore. Please shut up. And so what's he going to do? Even with his writing, you know, he can't talk about the things that he's used to talking about. He has never talked about policy. He doesn't know how to talk about policy. He has no moral standards or policy ideas. He just says things that other people say, hey, say this. And it's like, why would I say that? Because then, you know, then the evangelicals will vote for you. Oh, okay. All right. What's an evangelical? Uh, it doesn't matter. It's a Christian thing. Ah, I'm not Christian. I know, but just say this, okay? Yeah, okay. So he's he doesn't have control over his own message anymore because he's not allowed to say anything because anything he says <laughs> has the potential of further incriminating him. You think Jack Smith is not listening every time he turns his microphone on and makes one of his stupid videos where his orange makeup is dripping off his face and his hair's looking more and more like Flock of Seagull's hair? And he's in a dark room for some reason? Do you think Jack Smith isn't paying attention to everything Donald Trump says and writes and publishes? He's just making his case easier and easier for for Jack Smith against Donald Trump. So he he probably 
won't be, his lawyers will probably try and make sure he does not show up at any debates. And these Fox News people are right. People are going to go, you know, that that Chris Christie, he, he really makes sense, you know. I mean, I actually agree with him. You know, maybe Trump is an idiot and a loser and a crappy businessman and a coward. Chris Christie is really good at talking about that stuff. Chris Christie is going to do really well in this debate. Vivek Ramaswamy, Ramaswamy, we love that. We love to say that word, Ramaswamy. He's making a fool of himself. And, you know, I'm talking about that the GOP is self-inflicting all of their wounds. Ramaswamy just did one. He said, we should take away voting rights from anybody younger than 25 years old. And then, in order for them to get their voting rights back, they have to take a test about America. (laughs) So, not only is he trying to take away their voting rights, he's also insulting them, calling them stupid, and saying that they're not smart enough to vote, they don't know enough about America to vote. Is that how they think they're going to Win over Gen Z? Is that their plan to win over Gen Z? So he further ostracized Gen Z. Maybe there are some crazy Gen Z people who are like, I don't know, I'm going to vote Republican. And then Ramaswamy says, no, you're an idiot. You shouldn't be allowed to vote. Okay. I'm going to vote for a Democrat then. And they'll call him a bad name I can't say on the radio. Say, yeah, I'm voting for a Democrat, you thing I can't say on the radio. And, by the way, Ramaswamy making all these claims like, I would let Russia keep the parts of Ukraine that they currently have to stop the war. What? Your little smart aleck butt is going to just go over there and and then uh, Zelensky's going to go, oh, okay, all right. If you say so. And then I'm going to meet with with uh, Russia. I'm going to meet with Putin and tell him, hey, kind of cool it on your relationship with China. And Putin's going to go, yeah, okay, as long as you say so. Sure. Whatever you say. I mean, what does he think the role of the president is and how, how – where does he think that role is actually has power? He's making a fool of himself. And DeSantis – how is he going to handle this debate when this uh, memo got leaked? <laughs> it's hilarious. He's being told to protect Trump. So when Chris Christie says something mean about Trump, try and protect Trump. And they're also saying, just concentrate on, on your positive messaging. He doesn't have any positive messaging. All it is is anti-woke. I want to make America into Florida. Florida right now has an outbreak of what is that? Uh, well, um, malaria. But what's the one that was like from biblical times? <laughs> oh, the leprosy outbreak? Leprosy. There's a leprosy outbreak in Florida. And he wants to, (laughs) I want to make America into Florida. What? So 
pretty much anything he says is going to look absolutely false because he's going to look like he's following this memo. And, you know, they're trying to say that, uh, oh, and they even suggest, hey, call Vivek, call him fake Vivek. That's not going to make it. (laughs) That's what Trump does. You're just going to look like you can't come up with any ideas of your own and you're copying Trump. You know, DeSantis, everybody says he's really intelligent and he went to these great schools, but he shows none of it in public. He shows none of it. He looks like an idiot. And he's just, it's going to be worse for him on the debate stage. And here's another way the Republicans self-inflict their own wounds. Yale University researchers found that registered Republicans had a higher rate of excess deaths than Democrats in the months following when vaccines became available for all adults in April 2021. I'm reading from the Washington Post. The study does not directly attribute the deaths to (laughs) COVID-19. Yeah, but we know. Instead, excess mortality refers to the overall rate of deaths exceeding what would be expected from historical trends. The study examined the deaths of 538,000 people 25 years and older in Florida and Ohio between January 2018 and December 2020, with researchers linking them to party registration records. I don't know that a study has ever been done like this, where they're like, hey, let's, out of all those people dead, uh, who did they vote for? So researchers found the excess death rate for Republicans and Democrats was about the same at the start of the pandemic in March 2020. Both parties experienced a sharp but similar increase in excess deaths the following winter. But after April 2021... The gap in excess death rates emerged with the rate for Republicans 7.7 percentage points higher than the rate for Democrats. For Republicans, that's translated into a 43% increase in excess deaths. The gap in excess death rates were larger in counties with lower vaccination rates. Uh, Duh. And noted that the gap was primarily driven by voters in Ohio. The results suggest that differences in vaccination attitudes and the uptake among Republican and Democrat voters, Democratic voters, may have been factors in the severity and trajectory of the pandemic. So why, why did Republicans decide to brainwash their own people into not taking the vaccine against COVID. They have less voters because of that. And this is just something, you know, the, the reason that they did this study and, you know, decided, hey, let's see who these people voted for is because we all knew this was true. But now there's a study showing it. And I don't mean to laugh be- over death. I don't. I wish not a single person on earth had to die of COVID nineteen. It was a horrible death that all these people had. But why did the Republicans decide that they wanted those deaths to be their own voters and 
not Democratic voters, only Republican voters. Why? What was their purpose for convincing their own people not to take the vaccine? So they self-inflicted, you know, ostracizing Gen Z, um, uh, fake Vivek did it even more. They, of course, did it by all, all of the things that they're still doing and saying and trying to do over women's health care rights and abortion rights. And that alone, we got to remember. And we'll talk more about that, but we got to take a break again. One more break in the Matt McNeil Show. Todd Mickelson sitting in for Matt today. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We'll be right back. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show today. Matt will be back tomorrow. We were talking about, we were going into the um, women's health care, reproductive health rights, abortion. That is not going away. That issue is not going away. Americans overwhelmingly, Republicans overwhelmingly, want women to have reproductive health care rights. They want abortion to be legal. And I don't care... Who becomes the Republican nominee? They're going to be asked that over and over and over and over and over. Will you sign into law a national ban on abortion? And if they say yes, then they lose the election. If they say no, they lose their base, which also means they lose the election. With or without their base, they don't have enough voters to win an election. That's why they're, you know, trying to do this RFK Jr. thing and this third, other third-party stuff. That's that's how they won in 2016. And, um, you know, that's how they won uh, three states they needed in the Electoral College. Enough voters for Jane Stein, I think her name was, um, that, that took away votes from Hillary Clinton so that she was unable to win those three states by a very small margin. That's the only way Donald Trump became president. And a lot of that was also because of what Russia was doing. Jane Stein was totally in cahoots with Russia. She was working for them. So, you know, I, I've said before on this show and on my podcast, A Satellite View, that Chris Christie is the one that makes me nervous because, you know, I almost like him when he talks. I, I mean, he's a horrible person. He's got horrible issues. He says horrible stuff about Joe Biden when America's going to be seeing that, no, I don't know, Joe Biden seems to have done a pretty good job. Things are going really well for me, a lot better than they were under Trump. And, you know, the economy's doing great. I'm getting paid more, uh, blah, 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 blah. No, inflation isn't here anymore. No, the recession never happened. No, gas isn't that high anymore. And and even if gas went up a little bit this summer, it's not holding people back from traveling. So people, you know, don't care enough about it. And so 
you know, you can't really – that's not going to work. But even if that did work, they're going to be asked that question. Will you sign a national ban on abortion? And whatever answer they give is going to lose them the election. Here's another thing that the Republicans seem to be having a, a you know, scared problem. Matt, the lap schlapper, that's a long story about why I call him the lap schlapper. He says, the sooner we unify behind a nominee, the sooner we can use resources to fund the defenses of everyone indicted for being a Trump Republican. <laughs> this is becoming about a bigger principle than just one man. Then Jenna Ellis, who's indicted over this whole you know, 2020 uh, election lie, trying to work for Trump. I was reliably informed Trump isn't funding any of us who are indicted. Would this change if he became becomes the nominee? Why then not now? So she's pissed. I also agree this has become bigger principle than just one man. So why isn't MAGA Inc. funding everyone's defense? So she's she's mad. And and Matt the Lapschlapper, he's afraid because the Republicans you know, they, they got no resources. All of the money is going to Trump's, you know, defense. And he wants everybody to get behind a nominee so that they don't have to worry about spending money. <laughs> and then I, he thinks Trump is going to pay for everyone else. It's not going to happen. And all the other indicted people know that's not going to happen. But, you know, Again, the the Republicans are having a huge money problem. In their filings in the end of May, the Minnesota Republican Party had $335,000 worth of debt. The Democratic Party in Minnesota had $0 worth of debt. And then on top of that, the Republican Party had $54 in their bank account. So, yeah. The Republicans, it's going to be a bloodbath for them in 2024. They can't even run elections. Now, I, I wanted to get to this before we go off the air. Um, Dr. Jane Keller sent me a text adding to her whole story. The company that she mentioned, Naviant, their settlement is to result in $1.7 billion in student loan cancellation. And then she said... I wanted to mention but forgot that anyone who has a commercially or federally held FFEL loan should consolidate those loans into direct consolidation loans to be part of the U.S. Department of Education's process to count payments towards forgiveness. They can check this out at studentaid.gov for help with that process, and you need to do that before the end of the year 2023. That's, again, Student Aid AID, studentaid.gov. Go there and find out more about how to consolidate your student loans, and uh, you'll you'll be helping yourself a lot. So, go to studentaid.gov for that help. Thank you, Dr. Jane Keller, both for calling in at the beginning of this show, and for that update that uh, she just texted me. Oh, I got it in a minute early. Okay, we got to kill a minute here. Uh, what should we talk about? I don't. Oh, uh, the uh, Governor Walls had a really good uh, showing 
on TV. Uh, people are talking about Walls and because he's feeding kids. And he's actually getting national attention. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people are, are praising him for making sure that kids aren't hungry in school by providing free breakfast and lunch. Now, of course, Minnesota Republicans are complaining about that because they, they don't like kids. Kids are annoying to them. It's money they like, and they want their rich friends to have the money. So they don't want the kids to be able to eat food. Anyway, that's it for me. Matt's coming back tomorrow. You've been listening to AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota and the Matt McNeil Show. Uh, also, find my podcast, A Satellite View. You can find it at amradio.com on the programs page. I will hope to see you soon, and I'll see you over on A Satellite View.